Well, aren't these folks a blessing to us every, every week? They endure. They're, look, here we have them in here, and they did it just the same, just as good. Good to see all of you tonight. Hope we picked up the outline uh, for this evening. And can you hear me okay? Everybody all right? You're like being back in school. Now I can see the whites of your eyes. Now no sleeping in here in this place. I like this. So... We'll, uh, we'll get adjusted to it. We'll be in here a few weeks, and then we'll be back in the uh, worship center. So tonight we'll go to Philippians, and we're going to finish up Philippians chapter 1. It is great to see all of you tonight. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. As we begin, those of you who are uh, we were able to arrange this, so our friends who cannot be with us are able to join us. God bless you all who are out there, and we appre I appreciate hearing from you, and may the Lord bless you. We pray for you. We miss you. And uh, we, we pray God's best for you and that you be back with us soon. And uh, may the Lord be with you. So we'll, uh, we'll join together now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this evening finishing our day. So we finish our day today with all kinds of different emotions and experiences. And so today, Lord, we... First of all, come and ask that you, before we come to your word, we ask that you'd forgive us of our sins. We might be prepared, as, the, as James says to us, to put aside all the, the filthiness of, we've been out in the world. We've carried in all of these things in our minds. and We've been out there seeking to live as believers, but we've been in the world, so we, we must clean ourselves up. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive those things perhaps today that we, we, uh, we just dwelt on. Uh, we worried about. We were fearful about. We were angry about. Whatever, whatever those sinful emotions may have been, we confess them to you today. Please forgive us of those when we have not walked and lived by faith. When we have not trusted you for our circumstances and our needs. And we ask, Lord, also that You'd forgive us if we've not shared the Gospel today as we had opportunity, if we missed it, if we were either afraid or we were tired or we just, we just didn't do it. Forgive us of those areas of disobedience in our life. We seek to live for You and to uh, fulfill our obligation as Your people to obey You in all things and to thank You for all things for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. We don't ask You to change the circumstances of our life. We ask that You change us as we live in the circumstances of our lives that You have permitted or sent our way. May we see that and may we learn to live in the joy of following Jesus through all circumstances. It's what our brother Paul is teaching us in Philippians. May we, have, may we learn to have the joy and the victory and the confidence of Paul the Apostle. May this church be a church of confident, faithful trust in God regardless of how we're treated in the world. I pray, Lord, for all of our families who are represented here, husbands, wives, their children, grandchildren, all the many generations that we hear the sounds of the boys and girls around us. We thank You for our students out tonight. Uh, we thank you for our boys and girls who are in another Bible study. What a blessing it is for us to be a part of this church and 
and for us to have the opportunity to study Your Word. We ask that You be pleased with what we do. Now, Lord, we pause to pray for that one that is on our heart tonight. Whoever that might be. It might be the person, a person in this room. It might be someone in our family. It might be someone we work with. It might be a total stranger that we ran into today. But now we pause and we present that person before You. We might not even know their name. But You have put them on our heart. We pray that You might fulfill Your will. That You might draw them. Call them out of their sin if they're lost. And may they be saved. May they experience the joy of salvation as we have. And I pray, Lord, also for those who are who are our friends and family that we're burdened with because they've gone away from God. They're not as close as they used to be. So whoever they are, Lord, we present them to You tonight. And we ask that Your perfect will would be done in their lives. And that they might come to know the joy of following Jesus all the days of their life. So now, Lord, thank You for our time and Your Word. We love You. We thank You for the fellowship we enjoy. This group, we've all been together for a long time, and we're grateful to have these days. We know they won't be forever, but we thank You for these days that we have to share the Word of God together. So may Your Holy Spirit be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we come back to... Uh, Philippians chapter number 1 and I think it's easiest to go back and before we get into the outline and all the reviewing let's just read the Word of God hear the Word of God together uh, it's amazing to me again this reminds us of why we know the, the Word of God is inspired because you can still feel the emotion the energy the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life as he's writing these words to the Philippians now you know well over uh, you know, 1,800 years ago. And what a joy it is to read them to you and with you. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, he's writing to all the believers in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are participants of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and of God now I want you to know brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the, the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else 
And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, had far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will be even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And now we pick up for what we'll focus on tonight, verses 27 through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of these wonderful words, words of life, wonderful words, words that encourage us, words that strengthen us. Holy Spirit of God, be our teacher now. Put these in our lives. We desperately need Your Word. And tonight, help us to understand and think about as a church, as God's people, together as Your people, how we must conduct ourselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we review. I've given you these first sections of review and I've given you back the focal uh, point of what we were talking about in each of these sections. So in the first uh, section, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, Paul, his focus was that God works through the church to accomplish His purposes of salvation. So I want us to think about us as a group. It's easy for us in our uh, in our relationship with God to sometimes think about ourselves, And that's important. Yes, you're saved by grace individually. Yes. You're forgiven of your sins individually. Absolutely. You're adopted into the family of God as an individual. Absolutely. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, but we are also together. In fact, 
uh, it's, you know, he, Paul's almost a little southern on us here. If you noticed a few times, you all, you know, we'd say y'all. But it's, he's speaking to them as a group. I'm speaking to you as a group. Y'all as a group. So it's important for us to think about that we do our work together. You know, uh, there are some who say, well, I'm saved, but I don't need the church. That really doesn't work very well. Yeah, I'm saved, but I, you know I don't like all those people up there. You know, at the church. I'll just I'll just go solo, and go out to the lake and live for Jesus and read my Bible. And we were made to be together. If the COVID thing hadn't taught us anything, it should have taught us that that we were designed. We are the called out. We're the church. We're the ecclesia. We are God's called out people. We're called out to be together. You know, whether you get aggravated with me or I get aggravated with you, we're called to be together. And so we're called out to do our work together. So Paul encourages the church and reminds him, and it's verse 6. That was the focus. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Famous verse. Most of you in this room know it very well. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Now that's true in your individual life, but it's also true in our life together as a church. God is doing so. So some would say, oh, what in the world? Well, I talked to a man who... Is, uh, has come back to our church recently. He was here many years ago and he's so happy to be back here and talked about the memories of this church. And So each generation, some of you, our young ones in here, we have lots of new uh, boys and girls who represent the new generations in this church and our families, our young families. Uh, many of your grandchildren and children. Think about this. This is the progress of the Gospel through the church. Through the work of the church. And I'm a pastor of the church. The church is important. And though it's minimized by some, we don't get together just as a club. We are the called out ones of God. He who began a good work in you. It's plural. The word is plural in Greek here. You all. He who began a good work in all of you, y'all, will complete it and perfect it until the day of Christ. So what's the Lord doing in the church? He's still working on us. we got... You know, I tell people all the time, when new people come our way and I visit with them and say, look, if you're looking for a perfect church, we ain't the people. Because we do stuff that's not always good. We, we make mistakes. We, we don't uh, follow up on things. We, don't, we miss ministry opportunities. But the Lord is, this is my point here, He is perfecting. This is a part of the process of being sanctified or made holy. It's what God's doing in your individual life. He's perfecting. That's what He does to the church. If He does it to one of us, He does it to us all. Are you hearing me? So wherever you are in your, in your relationship with God, you can count on this. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God is going to do His sanctifying work in your life. Whatever He has to bring into your life to do it. As I was talking to a man recently, and I said, it's like heavenly sandpaper. He brings the most irritable people into your life. And you wonder... Why are they there? And they wonder that about you. Because you're their irritant. So think about this together. He's perfecting us. He's making us like Christ. Okay, Paul's report to the church. He gave a report. We read it. Verses 12 to 20. I'll try to stay focused here. But verse 12 was the key. It's the same for you. Can you say this? Now this is the question. Can you say what Paul said in verse 12? You should. If you're a follower, it doesn't matter what you're going through tonight. And if we went around this room, I know you well enough to know there's lots of stories in here about what's going on in your life and the challenges you face and in our church. Nevertheless, Paul was in jail. 
Okay? Now, I want you to know, brethren, that, verse 12, it's important, my circumstances, oh, people talk about their circumstances. That's all we talk about. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of me being happy. Is that what it says? No. It's not about me being happy. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it's about the Gospel. It's about the Gospel. He says, i got great news. I'm in jail, and there's better progress by me being in jail than me being out of jail. Even though Paul was you know, a man of God, he taught, he preached, he planted churches, but he was sitting in a jail cell. And he was not able to move around. Well, God uses all the circumstances in your life and mine for the progress of the Gospel. If you're saved... So I was reading today, I was reading, uh, I love to quote these hymns at the end of my, uh, I like to find the most random, most unknown hymns because it makes some people email me and say, where in the world, who is that? Where did you find that? And so it, it means they're listening, that's good. But today I was uh, looking at some hymns for the new series we're starting in the Gospel of John Sunday and this uh, dear lady uh, wrote this hymn uh, in, uh, I believe it was 1820, and uh, she, uh, she was uh, paralyzed. She'd been active in, in missions, planting churches. She was paralyzed. All of her friends said, well, I hope that you're going to be able to make it. She wrote an enormous amount of hymns. She wrote cards. She turned her, her being paralyzed into a ministry of writing toward others and encouraging. Now, obviously there was no internet, there was, but she wrote. She wrote letters and hymns and all the rest. And here we are uh, in these days. I'm looking at them in 2021. How is God using your circumstances to advance the Gospel? See, flip it. It's not about you. It's about the Gospel of Jesus Christ if you're saved. Okay. Paul's confidence. And then he goes, last week I talked to you in detail about what I call the two betters that make the best. The two betters that make the best is the famous verse in Philippians 1.21. It's the two betters in your life that make the best. Are you ready for it? For me to live is Christ. That's a better. To die is gain. That's a better. But it's actually the best. Two betters that make the best. And I talked to you about spiritual desires. Do you have spiritual desires? Do you even care about spiritual things? Well, this is important. And Paul knew that he, he was testifying. That's what he was doing here. In uh, verses... Uh, 21 to 26, he's testifying. We need to be able to tell each other that. Look, you may not stand in front of the church and do a testimony. You know, we do that sometimes and have testimony times, but you testify to your friends. You can testify to your neighbor. You can, you can tell somebody else something about your life. And this is what Paul was trying to say. He was encouraging these believers. And then he comes to this truth tonight, that believers must live a life that honors the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question tonight is like the old preacher that influenced me so much in my life, Leonard Ravenhill said, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? It's a very important question. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Well, sometimes I've had to answer in my life, no, I've got the wrong priorities. And sometimes I've been glad to say yes. Yes, the things I'm living for are worth Christ dying for because they're eternal. So I want to talk to us as a group. Now I'm asking, you have to apply this individually, but this is about our church. I'm asking this. 
His First Baptist Church, which is what we're all a part of here, His First Baptist Church, a church that honors the gospel by the way we live. We have a reputation in this town. We have a reputation with people who live here because we're individual people and we go out of here. So what does he say? Number one, verse 27 is a great way to start. Only, it's, it's a, he's making a transition from 26. You'll be proud of me, he says in verse 26, when I come to you again and I'm released because you have confidence in the way I've lived, basically. So, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now let me do a little Greek work with you here. Uh, this word, uh, con, con, uh, only conduct yourselves. The word conduct is a word that actually means citizenship. Live like a citizen. A good citizen. So let's think about this for a moment. And then the word manner, manner worthy, this phrase, is the thing of worthiness. Worthiness. So I want to take these for a moment and think about this together. How are we, what are we to do, church? What are we to do, dear people, about this matter of our conduct? Well, we worry about this and talk to our children and grandchildren about their conduct. But the question is, do we think about our conduct? What's the conduct of our church? What are we known for? You know, there's some churches that are famous for fighting all the time. That's just what they're known for. Fighting church. Fighting church. They're famous for being people who fight. And they're, or they're a church that's against everything. Or they're a church that's whatever you fill in the blank. The description is because the community looks at the church. People see what they say. And there's, there's a disconnect between the gospel preached and the way they live. This becomes a very important issue for all of us. Uh, Christian conduct. Conduct yourselves or live as citizens by the laws of your country. Are you all listening to me? You live as a citizen of the laws of your country. So what... Of what country are you a citizen tonight? This, this matter of our identity in Christ is very important. It's not a mind game. Paul's not trying to throw some mind game on them. They live in Philippi, a Roman colony which was a very important military place because it bridged a lot of different roads. I don't want to bore you with all that, but the, the, the Romans placed strategic... It's how they controlled the world for 1,200 years. They, they strategically placed a large group of military Roman soldiers in, this, uh, in Philippi. And uh, uh, the majority of the people in Philippi were Gentiles. So he's reminding them of their citizenship. They all knew about the importance. They were, these were Roman citizens in Philippi. Proud of their Roman citizenship. Paul was a Roman citizen. That's how he appealed and got to Caesar. Remember when they were beating him in the town? and They were beating him, threw him in jail, and they were making all these demands. And Paul just happened to mention, well, I am a Roman citizen. What? You're Roman. They got very afraid. Because you're not supposed to beat Roman citizens. There are rules about their citizenship. Look, Philippians 3.20. It's right here, just a few pages over in your Bible. I've given you, You're the spoiled people. I print all the verses out for you. You people at home, when you're not here, they get these verses. Spoon for, here it is. Look, open your mouth and I'll read the verse to you. Okay, I'm, I'm over it now. For our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship. Are you all listening to me? You're not a citizen of America. You're a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship was changed 
the day you got saved. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's not enough. I'll give you another one. Ephesians 2. For through Him, through the Lord Jesus, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. Look at all the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, do their work in order that we might have a relationship with God. That's a, that's a thought in, of itself. But So then you are no longer strangers and aliens that is in relationship to God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That's where we belong. He says, as we have repeatedly said to you in Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, that means you've been saved. You're, you're dead to your old way of life. You've been raised up alive as a new person in Christ. Keep seeking the things in our country. Keep seeking our country where our Lord is seated. In our country. Christians are citizens of the kingdom of God. I give you this long section of Hebrews and these verses because it reminds us of this very important matter of the city that God's people seek is not here. It's not here. Now I've had the privilege, Pat and I, to live in a lot of places. I went to school in Los Angeles uh, doing part of my training and education. I lived in Dallas. I lived all a lot of a lot of major uh, cities with all of their various elements, uh, good and bad. They all have their own uniquenesses. Um, Nashville is becoming one of those places uh, with all kinds of people. And I uh, saw somebody the other day. It was, I was, have you ever noticed when you... Some, I was just getting uh, gas in my car and this person just was... I guess they need to talk to somebody. And I wanted to be a good preacher. I didn't want to be ugly. I was like, I need to really hurry and go. But this is really take a long time. But they wanted to talk. Hey, are you, have you lived here a long time? Long enough. Long enough. Do you know anything about Nashville? Well, some. You know, so we got into a conversation because they were coming here seeking a new city from the West. And we, we discovered they were from California. And I said, that's a good thing for you to leave there. You're good. You made a good decision. Just don't bring all of your mess over here with us. We've got enough of our own mess. We don't need more California mess in here. But anyway, okay. So, he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. People are looking for a city. Young people coming to Nashville. People are coming to these cities. They're coming to the cities. They come to the cities all over the world. They leave the countryside to the cities. It's the constant issue of immigration all over. They come to the cities where the resources are, where there's uh, jobs, where the... And so Abraham was looking for the city, for the city, the city, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Are you looking for the city of God? Uh, the long passage here, Hebrews 11, the conclusion, all these who were walking by faith died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they're, listen, seeking, seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. There's not anything here that's going to last forever. Our country's in heaven. 
They see desire a better country. The younger you are, some say, oh, I just want to, you know, I, I want the Lord to come, but I want to have time here. For what? For what? What do you want to have time here for? To, to let your kids see more corruption and ungodliness and wickedness and bizarreness that we live in today? What is it you desire? What is it that you desire? I desire a better country, a heavenly one. This isn't just for old people. I have to say this all the time because a man said to me, well, you know, I'm, I, when you get old, you think about heaven. When you get saved, you think about heaven. Amen. Thank you for saying amen. It's the truth. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Your citizenship is in another place and time and dimension beyond space and time. You are in Christ in that place now as much as you are here. This is important for you to remember. For here we do not have a lasting city. That's why the government has to fix the roads. Man, I wish they'd fix I-40. It's about to tear my car up. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Well, that's enough, but we've got to go on. Worthy manner. Galatians 1.10. It's the other part of this first phrase. What's the worthy manner? Well, work, live in a manner worthy of the gospel that saved you. What does that mean? That means I forgive people because I've been forgiven. That means I love the unlovable because I've been loved when I have been unlovable. That means I bless those who curse me. That means that I am kind to those who are unkind. That means that I am salt and light. That means that I am unafraid to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And I don't care what they say. I don't what name call. I don't care what they make. I'm going to share with them the gospel when I have the opportunity and I'm going to pray for my enemies. Alright. So... Some of my dear Christian friends who get all wound up in your politics. The politician you cannot stand the most, you should pray for the most. Every day. Till God breaks you of that. You should do it. You should do it. We're to pray for government leaders. It doesn't say if they're righteous. By the way, when Peter wrote that, pray for the king, the king killed Christians. Okay? So this is important for us to remember. I don't, I'm not a citizen of here anymore. I'm done. I live by new laws. I live by a new code, and I have a new Lord. And none of it's here. And I'm passing through. And I'm happy to pass through. And all the way I'm passing through, I'm going to try to do my best to encourage other people to come along and go to the new city, the heavenly city. That's the way we live. We live worthy of the gospel. We live worthy of the gospel that saved us. The church honors the gospel by standing firm. Look what he says here in the verse. So that whether I come or whether I remain absent, I will hear of you standing firm, two things, in one spirit and with one mind. So what does it mean for us to be together in our work here? It means that we put, our, we put our collective spirit together. This idea of spirit is the thing, it's, our, it's feeling the same, thinking the same, and desiring the same, and deciding the same. I've given you that in the outline. It's 
thinking with the mind of Christ together. You now have, look, that's why we preach the Word of God. That's why I spend my time with you uh, as long as I'm here taking you through the verses, verse by verse, because we need to know these together. We need to understand God's Word and have the mind of Christ. We need to have our minds set on the Spirit together. We need to have the mind of sharing the Gospel wherever we go with the love of Christ pushing us to tell somebody about Jesus. Listen, you can when you look in the face of the most you think successful person, man or woman, young or old, that you know who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they are barely making it. I don't care how much they try to fool you with what they put on the outside. They're barely making it. They're just waiting for somebody to say, pardon me, has anybody ever told you that Jesus Christ can change you? Well, we must be of one spirit and one mind. 1 Corinthians 16, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, uh, be strong. Uh, this matter of standing your ground, literally the word means to just stand still. Stand still. You know, the church has been moving around too much. Well, sometimes I'm going to be more like the world. If I act, if I look like the world, boy, more people are going to get saved. That's never worked. It's never worked in all of the history of Christianity. In fact, the more the church slides to the world's side, the more worldly the church is. It's always been the fact. I'm talking about from the preachers all the way across the board. It's the same thing. Compromise will never get us uh, the results we want to see in the Gospel. You have to stand your ground. So in these bizarre days of, uh, of untruth that, becomes, that is declared as truth, and dear people who are twisted in, in their minds because of their sin and really have a reprobate mind because of their refusal to believe the truth of God's Word and now believe bizarre, bizarre things about uh, human sexuality and all the rest without me going into the details of it. We stand our ground. We stand on gospel truth, word of God truth. We do it kindly. We do it lovingly. But we stand. We don't move. We stand. We stand firm together in one spirit and mind because we have a common foe. Ephesians 6. In fact, Paul, I think he's trying to make a point here. Did you see how many times? I underlined it for you. Finally be strong in the Lord. You all know these verses. Finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to compromise. No, stand firm. Same Greek word. Against the schemes of the devil. Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist. See, you stand, you resist, and this is an evil day in which we live. I promise you that. It's an evil day. Somebody said, well, you know, boy, I feel sorry for the young adults who have children. I don't. They were born for this time. If we teach them and share the gospel with them and they're safe, they're born for this time. God doesn't make mistakes. Every, gift, every child is a gift of God. They're here for a purpose. The church just has to get serious about what we do. I know I'm chasing rabbits tonight, but I guess we're in this room and I'm all fired up because I can see you. <laughs> Ricky's always got the lights down. I can't ever see you. <laughs> Having done everything, stand firm. Did you hear that? Having done everything, just keep standing. Keep resisting. Keep standing. We can do it kindly, but I'm not going to move. 
You can call me what you want. You can legislate against me. You can throw me in jail. You can kill me. I'm not going to go out and I'm going to move. I'm standing. Standing, standing on the promises of God. There we go. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with the truth. That's what you do. See, this is it. I got the belt of truth on. So I'm going to stand here with the belt of truth. And all your lies and falsehood and all this mess you throw at me, world, culture, I'm not buying it. I'm standing. The church honors the gospel by striving together. This is the third one. Did you see it here? I asked what today, and this word means to fight together. Not to fight each other. Are you listening to me? We have to fight together. A common cause. What are you fighting? What are we fighting? Are we fighting each other? Are we fi what is the church must fight together? A common cause. Paul even is going to get into this about two women who were two of his dearest partners in the gospel who were having a fight. Here we go. It's in the first churches. This ridiculousness of fighting in the church. It, you know, I ask you to help these women who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. That's it. I look around in here. You're, we're all in this striving together to share the gospel with Dixon County. This is what we're here to do, to strive together. Uh, you know, and then uh, strive together with me in your prayers, Paul says in Romans 15. And, but godliness is beneficial for all things. It holds a promise for this life and the life to come. Listen, for it is this we labor and strive. What is it? For holiness. Look, I need you to encourage me and I need to encourage you because living in the world is a pressure. The demand of conformity at your job, whether you even recognize it or not, is real. The, the, the demand for your kids, your kids or grandkids, to, to uh, conform to the world is a demand on all of us. We strive together. We resist together. And oh, by the way, number four, we're fearless about the opponent. Uh, what's that old thing? Ain't scared. I ain't scared. Or whatever it was. Used to, all these guys used to put on their back of their, you know, their uh, truck. Whatever that meant. I have no idea. But they do. Ain't scared. Well, I ain't scared. If they kill us, there's more of us. That's what happens. That's what happens. And Paul says this very clearly. He says... Uh, he says, don't be alarmed by your opponents. Be fearless. Oh, what will they think if I tell them that I'm a follower of Jesus? Who cares? Who cares? God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of power, love, and discipline. The Lord said to Paul, the Lord had to say this to Paul, look, Paul's the man. But he had his moments too. He says, the Lord says, don't be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. See, I think in the culture today, the church is going to have to be louder, not quieter. So, as you all say here in the South that I've learned, it wasn't a phrase I knew in Oklahoma, but I'm fixing to get louder when I'm preaching. Not volume-wise, but I've decided it's time for me to say some things I haven't said in a while. So, stay tuned. You'll see. 
What are you afraid of today? What is it that causes you to step back? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of the Lord. I'm afraid that uh, He... I'm afraid that um, the Lord may not be um, pleased with us always as a church. You know, the Lord said to those churches in uh, Revelation, if you don't repent, Basically, he said, I'm going to remove my power. That's what he was saying. I don't want that. You don't want that. So, what are you afraid of? I'm certainly not afraid of the government. That's the most ridiculous bunch of silliness I've ever seen in my life. At all levels. I've never seen such foolery, silliness as what we see today. I'm not afraid. I don't care what the laws are. I'm going to stand for the gospel. I'm afraid. The church honors the gospel. Are you ready for this? This is the last thing. It's the best of all. And we don't understand this in the church, in the Lord, in the in the American church. And I think God hasn't allowed us to have this gift. You know what it is? Suffering for the gospel. Look at the language here. It's very important that you read this. For to you. He's writing to his Philippian brothers and sisters in a tough, Roman, godless, pagan world. For to you it has been granted. Now listen to me, I'm about finished. This Greek word for grant is a word that means favor. Listen. The most favored of God's people suffer the most for the Gospel. Did you hear me? The most favored of God's people suffer the most. The greatest favor God gives to His people is to allow them to suffer for Christ. Go home and think about that. This word suffer means the experiences of painful feelings. It is God's favor to allow you to suffer for the Gospel. So I want to ask you tonight, why are you suffering? There's only two reasons why we suffer. We suffer because of our sin. Boy, that's real. We suffer because we're a saint of God and we're not afraid to tell other people about Jesus Christ. So Peter says, 1 Peter 2.21, For you have been called for this purpose. Are you listening? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in His steps. So they fire you at work. You know, I was thinking about it. I'm not going to be too specific about it. But there's one of our people in our church who's taken some real risks at their job. And they've been threatened about if they keep up talking about the Lord that they're going to get fired. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing 
as though some strange thing was happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. This is 1 Peter 4. If you are reviled for Christ's sake, for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Alright? Just remember that. The greatest blessing of all is to be cursed because you are a Christian or called names or ridiculed. And there's more of that coming than has ever been in many of your lifetimes as followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to find out in this next few years, I believe, unless the Lord comes even sooner, when the pressure gets on, all the kind of pretend like Christians are going to just be gone. All the, like, it's cool to be a Christian deal is going to go away. Because they're going to say, well, you know, unless your kids conform in this certain ways, you can't bring them up here to school. Really? Yeah. Unless you do these certain things at work and accept these certain values, you're not going to have a job. And it can get worse. We'll just lock you up. We'll just call a health emergency. Right? And we'll just not do anything. When someone reviles you for being a follower of Jesus Christ, it is the greatest of blessings. The early church, the ancient church in the first two centuries saw great martyrdom and it was the greatest of honors to be martyred. And they all went to the, they all went to the fire, to the rack, to the rack. They all went to their deaths, strangled, burned, sewed up, thrown in the, thrown in the ocean, fed the lions, burned burned in Caesar's garden as a human torch. I'm not making any of this up. So, because you know what? They weren't even of this world. So, the believer would probably off the air. We may not be off the air, but i got one more. I know you got to go get your kids, but they can wait for a minute. Or whatever you got to go do. You're going to Shoney's too bad. You just have to wait in line. I've seen some of you down there. <laughs> While it was getting my pie. <laughs> the believer's citizenship in heaven comes with all the rights and privileges of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now that's citizenship. Heavenly citizenship is granted by salvation. You know how you got your citizenship? You got saved. So live as a heavenly citizen. Heavenly citizenship is eternal. And guess what? It can never be revoked. Aren't you glad? Yes. Believers in Christ have exchanged their earthly citizenship for their heavenly one. Here, I give you my driver's license or whatever else you want. My birth certificate. I'm adopted by a new father. How honorable of the Gospel when the church is of one spirit and mind. When God's church fights together for the gospel, there is progress. That's what was happening in these words. They didn't have any resources, but the power of God was on these dear people. Nothing is more powerful than a fearless church in an intimidating world. I'm not, I ain't scared. Ain't not anything I've seen that's going to scare me. But God scares me. 
And I mean that. You know why? The Lord said it. Don't fear somebody who can just kill you. Fear the one who can kill you and send you to hell. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Now, I didn't make that up. The Lord said that. The church suffers for the sake of those who hate the gospel. I want you to think about that as you go. So, may the Lord help us. church suffers for the sake of those who hate the gospel. So, the greatest hater you know deserves to give you fits because they need somebody to tell them how to be saved. So whatever they do to you, just keep telling them about Jesus. So my question is, are we living worthy of the gospel that saved us? Well, we've had enough. We can think about it on our way out. Lord, thank you for my dear brothers and sisters. So we thank you for Paul's challenge to um, the Philippians. It's the same for us. So may we, uh, may we travel this world lightly. All this mess we carry with us is of no value in our heavenly city. Only our faith in Jesus Christ and the assurance of salvation and the joy of being in an amazing, unbelievable place, the city of God. We have come to Zion. We have come to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. So we pray, Lord, that tonight You'd help us all to go home and think about how we're living are the things we're living for worth Christ dying for? May Jesus be honored and glorified through our lives. And may we suffer for the sake of the Gospel so that others might be saved. Just like we were when we put people through the same thing before we were saved. Bless my brothers and sisters here tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. and. Uh, Lord willing, if the creek doesn't rise, we'll be back in here next Wednesday night.